Hello and welcome to the Entertaining Abstracts Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah, and I have got some great new articles to talk to you guys about today. I'm going to start off with an article about a topic that I thought was particularly interesting. It came out in the Washington Post a few weeks ago, and it's called On the Trail of Maryland's Fugitive Zebras. Mara Judkiss was the author. Every time she needs to pick up groceries, Sylvia Singleton goes on a little safari. On her way to Safeway, she will take a detour through the wilds of Prince George's County, Maryland, past the Popeyes and the CVS and the school, where the road turns into woods. For weeks, she has been yearning to spot a zebra. I just drive up and down the road in hope, says Singleton. My husband thinks I'm crazy. They're out there. Fugitive zebras from an upper Marlboro farm where officials say in late August, three of them made a break for it, defying their owner and evading animal control officials for weeks. The amateur ethologists and animal lovers of the Maryland suburbs have joined in the hunt, prowling the area for signs of wildlife, dressing their kids up in zebra costumes, but often only seeing deer or wild turkeys. Neighbors have been luckier. Striped tides have been spotted passing through their backyards, and while news this week that one of the zebras has died cast a pall over the story, the animals have also captured local imaginations. It's rooting for the underdog, says Irfan Hussein, a 31-year-old data project manager and zebra fan in D.C., who started a Maryland Zebra's Twitter account. These zebras have escaped capture for so long, Hussein continues. They're seeing the government, the authorities, as kind of the bad guys here, and the zebras are just trying to, you know, live their best lives. Singleton, a 47-year-old animal lover, was hunting for a little bit of that magic. She has been aggregating sightings on social media and believes she knew their usual haunts. She supplied the car, a reporter supplied a pair of binoculars. The chances of seeing them are very slim, Singleton conceded. But before the end of the day, she would have an encounter to remember. Many of the reported sightings have been off Croom Road, so Singleton set off in her black SUV on the hilly thoroughfare, twisting past the entrances of stately neighborhoods and with pleasant-sounding names like the Greens at Marlton and Windy Oaks and Croom Estates. She pulled over at a small farm stand which was already closed for the day. That's where most of the sightings have been, by the train track, she said, pointing through a clearing. Alas, no zebras this time. Back to the road. Hello, how are you? We're zebra hunting, Singleton politely explained through her window to a man walking two enormous dogs. Have you ever seen any of them? I haven't seen them, but I've heard of them, the man said, behind his house not too long ago. What do they sound like? It sounds like a mixture of a horse mixed with screaming. The man did his best impression of a braying zebra, sounding like a donkey choking on something, which per subsequent YouTube search for zebra noises was pretty accurate. It's enough to make a person wonder what they really know about zebras. They're so much more intelligent than horses are, says Nancy Nunk. It's just a natural fact they are because they are survivalists. Nunk runs an animal sanctuary for zebras and other exotic animals in Ramona, California. She's trained more than 100 zebras. I have learned how to relate to them based on their love frequency, and they respond to me, she says. And she's also the founder of something called the International Zebra Zorse Donkey Association. Not only are they smarter than horses, she said, they are also five times more powerful to say nothing of their superior looks. Sorry, horses. Anything else? If you surround zebras, that's when they panic because their instinct is to flee or fight. And zebras will fight before they flee. More zebra facts. They run 35 miles per hour, they stand sleeping up, 
and a group of zebras is called a dazzle. Of course it is, because here's a zebra fact that you didn't have to look up. There's something magical about them, especially when they're not where they're supposed to be. The color pattern, the stripes, it really is an indication of wildness, says Mark Beckoff, a professor emeritus of ecology and evolutionary biology at the University of Colorado at Boulder. And wilderness is not what one would expect to find here in Upper Marlboro. Among certain humans, the zebras have transcended the category of loose animal and attained a near mythical status as symbols of freedom and resistance and independence. Which is good for us, but how do we think the zebras feel? The post was unable to reach any zebras for comment, but Beckoff, who studies animal emotions, says he suspects that at the very least, the zebras know they're on an adventure together. My belief is they'd rather be free than captive, he says. If you could give them a choice, they would choose to be exactly where they are. But where is that exactly? They could be right there in front of us. Here, Sylvia Singleton says, but just because it's so heavily wooded, she trails off. They were across the street last week, a man tells her after she pulls into his driveway in search of a tip. Hi, we're on a safari. We're hunting for zebras, she informs a group of young men standing around a car. Zebras, says one of them, sounding bewildered. You look like a zebra, says another, pointing out Singleton's black and white striped top. Singleton drives away, shaking her head. They don't even read the news, she says. Those who closely follow zebra news may have noticed that the Maryland zebras are not the first ones to escape captivity this year, although they are the only ones who managed to stay free for more than a few hours. In May, an agitated zebra escaped the Triple W Livestock Auction in Cookville, Tennessee, and ran onto a highway. Earlier this month, two zebras escaped from an Illinois pumpkin patch to the surprise of Jacob Gobert, who'd gotten the zebras on loan from an exotic animal farm in Wisconsin to jazz up the fall festivities at Gobert's farm. Their enclosure had high fences, Gobert told the Post. We're still doing somewhat of an internal investigation as to exactly how they were able to escape. The circumstances of the Maryland zebra's escape have remained somewhat mysterious. The zebra's owner, Jerry Hawley, did not respond to multiple requests for comments. The county has said it became aware of the escaped zebras on August 31st and that animal control officials have been working with the zebra's caretakers to lure them back to the farm with feed and hay. Discouraging rumors have tempted zebra fever in some corners of Upper Marlboro. Singleton said she had heard that two of the zebras had already been captured. Another local told the Post she had heard that one of the zebras had gotten trapped in a fence. In a now-deleted post on Facebook, someone claimed that one of the zebras had also been shot dead. County officials responding to a request for comment on those rumors for the story said that one zebra had been found dead by a man a month ago in a snare trap on land owned by the Girl Scouts. It was unclear who had set the trap up or why the county had continued to say for weeks that officials were close to capturing the zebras in a safe manner. That's the flip side of zebra freedom. It includes being chased by predators, being killed by predators, having to do a 900-mile migration in which 150 babies die because the lions are following them, says Nuke. So freedom really isn't what it's cracked up to be. I'm worried about them, Singleton said of the escapees. As much as she wants them to be free, she also wants them to be captured. On the day of her zebra search, Singleton made a detour to a place where she knew the zebras were, Jerry Holly's farm. She stopped her SUV short of the entrance, taking care not to trespass past signs marked private property. A yellow house stood at the end of the driveway and beyond that a white barn. The fenced in fields seemed empty, but off in the distance in a clearing beyond the tree line, something was moving. A horse? No, through binoculars, there was no doubt. Stripes. Three zebras slowly came into focus. They were grazing. It was hard to see where the Holly exotic fence ended, but they were close enough to the farm that they were almost certainly not the fugitives, 
but rather three of the 36 other zebras that Holly reportedly owns. Still, Singleton was enchanted. There's more, she says, peering through the lens. There's two more. But there was little time to take them in. The zebras disappeared behind the trees, and the Maryland landscape returned to normal. <laughs> Gotta root for those zebras. Next article. Rabies vaccines are falling from planes by the thousands in western North Carolina. Here's why. This was in the Charlotte Observer, and the author is Haley Fowler. Hundreds of thousands of small waxy packets the size of matchboxes have descended on western North Carolina in a little-known ritual to help inoculate wild raccoons against a rampant virus. No, not that one. The U.S. Department of Agriculture's Wildlife Services has been dropping rabies vaccines for planes along North Carolina's western borders since 2005, long before people knew about the coronavirus or concerned themselves with vaccine mandates as part of an animal baiting program targeting raccoons. The North Carolina Department of Health and Human Services announced the start of its annual oral rabies vaccination program with little fanfare at the end of September. Beginning October 5th, officials said more than 500,000 baits containing the vaccine would descend from a fixed-wing aircraft over counties in the western part of the state. They include Ash, Allegheny, Buncombe, Cherokee, Clay, Graham, Haywood, Henderson, Jackson, Macon, Madison, Mitchell, Swain, Transylvania, Wilkes, and Yancey counties. The mass inoculation is expected to wrap up by mid-October, officials said. According to health officials, the baits were made of plastic packets containing the vaccine that's either sprinkled with a fish meal coating or encased inside hard fish meal polymer blocks. Fish meal is a ground powder made from the cooked flesh of fish, according to the Encyclopedia Britannica. When a raccoon bites into the bait, the vaccine packet is punctured and the animal is exposed to the vaccine. This activates the animal's immune system to produce antibodies that provide protection against rabies infection. Rabies only affects mammals, with more than 90% of the reported cases occurring in wildlife, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. North Carolina's annual vaccine drop is part of a nationwide effort to dampen the spread of rabies that dates back to 1997 and is known as the National Rabies Management Program. It is the largest coordinated effort to control a zoonotic disease in wildlife populations ever undertaken in the U.S. National Geographic previously reported. Zoonotic diseases refer to germs that spread between humans and animals. A reporter with the magazine accompanied wildlife officials as they scattered rabies vaccines across Pittsburgh and rural Pennsylvania in 2019. The tiny packets were distributed by plane, hand, and car in every nook and cranny of the state, from wooded lots to storm drains. A similar process unfolds yearly in other states, including Ohio, Texas, and Vermont. Health officials in North Carolina said the vaccine packets do not contain the live rabies virus and cannot cause rabies. Anyone who comes into contact with the liquid vaccine should wash their affected area thoroughly with soap and water and call the phone number listed on the bait for further instructions and referral, officials said. USDA Wildlife Services also recommends leaving the bait where it is unless it's on a person's lawn or driveway. The bait can then be safely moved to an area where raccoons are more likely to find it using gloves or another barrier to protect against the strong fish smell. If pets eat several baits, Wildlife Services said they may get an upset stomach, but officials don't recommend trying to take the packet out of a pet's mouth, as you could be bitten. Another interesting article. Let's talk about broken hearts. 
This article came out in USA Today, and the author is Kiera Wingi. It's called A Shock to the Core. Broken Heart Syndrome is on the rise in the U.S., a new study shows. More Americans are living with a broken heart, and that painful feeling now comes with a severe diagnosis, a new study shows. A peer-reviewed study published by the Journal of the American Heart Association found that broken heart syndrome is on the rise. It is also one of the only studies to show a clear connection on how the heart and brain react together when things like anxiety or stress are present. Takotsubo syndrome, also known as broken heart syndrome, can mirror a heart attack, causing chest pains and shortness of breath after the heart muscles weaken. It generally happens after a severe emotional or physical event like a breakup, car accident, or even a surprise birthday party, according to Dr. Susan Cheng, who led the study. The study revealed that men and women alike have experienced broken heart syndrome at rising rates through recent years, and women ages 50 to 74 have seen the highest increase. Of the 135,463 cases of broken heart syndrome reported in the U.S. from 2006 to 2017, 88.3% of cases were older women. There's no other disease where it's so clear and inarguable, Cheng told USA Today. Many of us have focused at least some of our energy trying to understand what's going on around this particular syndrome, like how to recognize the diagnosis and make the diagnosis. Men and women have different biology and susceptibility to diseases, Cheng added. These differences get exaggerated over time, and in this study it seems to be applicable here as well. While rare, severe cases of broken heart syndrome can lead to death, said Chang. People have been in cardiac intensive care for days or weeks trying to recover from this. She adds that stress triggers the syndrome and we're shocked to the core. It's a shock to the system. Chang says broken heart syndrome is not yet well understood. The most organized and comprehensive data available is in the National Inpatient Sample Database. While the data is exclusively pre-pandemic, Cheng says there's data after 2017, but it takes a couple of years to collect it and get it organized and ready to analyze. She expects there will be a lower rate of diagnosis because most people during the pandemic are doing everything they can to avoid having to go to the hospital. Well, that's kind of scary that that's actually a real thing. Next article is platonic partnerships are on the rise. So I spoke to these friends who have chosen to live the rest of their lives together. This article came out a few weeks ago. It's honestly a beautiful love story. April Lee and Renee Wong met when they were preteens, right around 12 or 13, and have remained a constant fixture in each other's lives for the past 11 years. It's romantic, they know it, and April is the first to self-identify the pair as a set of hopeless romantics. But there's no romance involved. There's love, understanding, patience, respect, and communication, but absolutely nothing physical. April and Renee are platonic life partners, aka friends who choose to journey through life together without a sexual component to their relationship. Normalize platonic life partners, April says in a now viral TikTok. My best friend is my soulmate. She's the platonic love of my life. She's who I choose to do life with, and after five years of long distance, we finally manifested a way for her to move to LA to be with me. Now that it's happening, our friends and family are like, are y'all crazy? And I get it. It's a big gesture to move across the world to be with someone else, but what I think is funny is that we should not be questioned as much about this if we were lovers. We've been friends for 11 years. That's longer than most couples have been together, and we see a life together. We want to buy a house together, we want to start a retirement fund together, 
We might even adopt a child together and raise it as friends. I don't think our love and commitment together should pale in comparison to romantic love. Many commenters on April's video expressed their own interest in pursuing platonic lifelong relationships and some shared they grew up or were raising children in similar environments. This form of commitment appears to be becoming more common. Recently, one standout story included a group of seven women who had been best friends for over 20 years. Reaching their retirement age, the group pooled their money together and purchased a $580,000 home with enough rooms for each individual. There, they plan to spend the rest of their lives together. But not everyone is convinced these arrangements work. She's gonna find a man, get married, and leave you high and dry, one user wrote, addressing April. But how is that any different from the chances we take with romantic relationships where cheating, lying, or simply growing apart is common? To gain a better understanding of the dynamics and differences of romantic and platonic relationships, I spoke with marriage and family therapist Moandra Johnson, who specializes in sex and relationships. Johnson defined platonic relationships as a relationship between friends, and while these relationships can be loving, they're not physically intimate. They, however, may exhibit other forms of intimacy and create a bond just as strong. A platonic relationship may consist of one or all of these forms of intimacy, emotional intimacy, intellectual intimacy, creative intimacy, experimental intimacy, and or spiritual intimacy. Platonic love derives from Plato's analogy that platonic love teaches us to pursue greater goals and essentially motivate each other to become the best versions of ourselves. Platonic relationships are becoming more common, Johnson noted. Many people today are breaking out of the typical societal molds to discover what makes them happy, and that may not be conventional romantic monogamy. A platonic life partner offers love and support, the feeling of belonging to a community, or having a village that's not strictly romantic, she continued. This kind of relationship is healthy, but different individuals have different needs. Platonic relationships are possible just so long as both people's intentions and understanding of the relationship are the same. For those relationships to remain stable, Johnson says it's important to set boundaries and avoid blurring lines by clearly outlining what works best for each partner. The main concern that one partner may develop romantic, unrequited feelings for the other, creating a situation that may lead to the relationship fully dissolving. One has to be open and honest with the person you're sharing this relationship with, Johnson added, just as you might in a romantic relationship but without the physical intimacy. Her words sound familiar. When BuzzFeed spoke to April about her relationship with Renee, she said, We put a lot of effort into communicating and listening to each other without judgment. It feels like a life hack. Everything we want to achieve, we realize we can achieve it together. And if we did what romantic couples do, pooling together our resources, sharing responsibilities, and making up for where the other lacked, we could achieve our goals a lot easier and have a lot more fun along the way. This type of love can sound perfect and sometimes effortless, but Johnson pointed out a potential con. Unlike long-term romantic relationships which have been standard in our society, lifelong platonic relationships may be harder for others to understand, which can lead to conflict among the pair's family, friends, and outsiders. A common con that I have come across as a therapist is the negative perspective of others, Johnson said. As society advances, we're exploring other ways to do life outside of cultural norms, and there's no right or wrong way. However, a fairly new relationship may challenge those around you. Renee and April understand this personally and have balanced both Singapore and America's societal expectations for what a relationship should look like. And if Renee and April find romantic love in the future, well, even better. 
Having built a committed relationship with Renee has allowed me to approach romantic relationships without pressure. To let romantic relationships unfold at a natural pace. To know that if I lose a romantic connection, the future I've planned will still exist, April explained. I'm also less likely to expect my romantic partner to fulfill my needs. A mistake I think many of us have made that puts an unhealthy amount of strain on one relationship. In a few years, Renee and April's visas will expire and they'll need to find a new country to live in. But regardless of where they end up, they plan on doing it together. If you want to keep up with Renee and April, you can follow April's TikTok or Instagram account. You can also learn more about sex and relationships from Johnson on her Instagram, and I will put that link into the show notes. And one final article of the day to wrap it up. Doug, the ugly New Zealand potato could be the world's biggest. And this article was written by Nick Perry. Wellington, New Zealand, Colin and Dana Crownbreg were weeding their garden in New Zealand when Colin's hoe struck something huge just beneath the soil surface. As the couple knelt down and began digging around the object, Colin wondered if it was some sort of strange fungal growth, a giant puffball. After Colin pried it out with his garden fork, he scratched away a bit of the skin and tasted it. Yikes, I don't know if I could go that far, but it was a potato. We couldn't believe it, Donna said. It was just huge and not exactly pretty. Donna describes its appearance as more of an ugly, mutant look, but it's quite possibly the world's largest potato on record. When the couple lugged it into their garage and put it on their old set of scales, it weighed in at a remarkable 7.9 kilograms, or 17.4 pounds. That's equal to a couple sacks of regular potatoes, or even one small dog. In the weeks since their unusual find, the couple's potato has become something of a celebrity around their small farm near Hamilton. They've named the potato Doug after the way it was unearthed, and Colin even built a small cart to tow Doug around. We put a hat on him. We put him on Facebook, taking him for a walk, giving him some sunshine, Colin said. It's all a bit of fun. It's amazing what entertains people. A more official weigh-in at a local farm store put Doug at 7.8 kilograms. The Guinness Book of World Records entry for the heaviest potato is a 2011 monster from Britain that weighed in at just under 5 kilograms. The couple says they've replied to the Guinness to have Doug recognized and are waiting to hear back. Guinness said it couldn't share information on the application and that the British potato remained the world record holder, at least for now. Colin said he doesn't have any secret gardening tips. Usually, they throw a bunch of cow manure and straw onto their garden and see what happens. He said they'd been growing cucumbers in that area of their garden before the weeds took over and hadn't planted any potatoes. Doug must have been self-sown and quite possibly growing for a couple of years or more. It's a mystery to me, Colin said. It's one of nature's little pleasant surprises. But Doug hasn't proved an easy charge to look after. As the couple showed the potato off, it began drying out and losing weight. Mold started growing from its wounds. He was getting a bit pongy, said Colin, referring to the potato's smell. So Colin cleaned up Doug as best he could and put the potato in the freezer where it remains. But Colin may not be done with Doug yet. An amateur brewer, Colin said he's keen to turn Doug into a nice drop of potato vodka. <laughs> this is definitely fun, right? Well, we're going to go ahead and wrap the episode up for the day. And we would ask that you please rate, review, and subscribe to this little podcast on your favorite podcast platform. That helps us rise in the rankings. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, you can certainly shoot us an email. We're at lightningrodinfo at gmail.com. And we hope you guys tune in next time for more entertaining abstracts.